Oh, okay. Father, I thank you so much. I ask you just bless us and Father, speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us that we'll make a decision that this week, Father, we're going to walk in your presence, walk in your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you. We are so blessed that the God of the universe will walk with us and talk with us and protect us and be with us. Lord, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most people are not aware that prayer can be fun. And so that's what I've entitled this Bible study, How to Make Your Prayer Time Fun. Now, I've also found that a lot of people don't realize that Jesus gave us a prayer outline to help make it easy. He's made things so easy for us. So your prayer time now can not only be fun, but it can be easy. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to always pray according to this outline that he gave us. Prayer should never be ritualistic, since prayer is simply just talking things over with your father. That's all it is. It's just like talking things over with your best friend. Now, Jesus has just given us an outline so that we'll get everything covered. He has everything in this outline so that we remember the different things that we need to pray about. Okay, in Matthew 6, verse 5, it says, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners so that they may be seen by man. Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. So this is not saying that you never pray out loud. Jesus himself prayed out loud many times. This is just letting us to check our motives so we're not just praying just to be praying or to impress people. And then on in verse 6 through 9, he said, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father then, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you're going to ask even before you ask. And then the next thing Jesus said was, pray in this way. And then he gives us an outline. Now, Jesus is not saying that we have to pray this prayer. You can recite this prayer, what they call the Lord's Prayer. You can recite that in about 15 seconds. So that's not what he's telling us. He's saying pray in this way or pray in this manner. It's an outline and it lets us know all the different things that we need to cover when we're praying. And it's just an outline is what it is. Now, many people say the Lord's Prayer, but very few people ever pray it. So tonight I want us to talk about praying this prayer. And it covers every area now. It's a complete prayer. Now today, it's a learning session. So we're just going to go straight through this prayer outline and we're going to see what it opens up. Now there's seven headings in this prayer. This is an outline that Jesus has given us and seven is the number of completion. So if you pray through these seven different areas, these different categories, you actually have prayed the complete prayer. So we're going to go through these categories one at a time. Number one category is in verse 9. It says, Our Father who art in heaven. Okay, let's break this first statement down. We're to pray our Father. You know, he could have said, just pray, dear God in heaven. And that would have been true. But Jesus is saying, pray our Father. And there was a reason for that. When you acknowledge someone as Father, automatically you feel a sense of belonging. When you say the word Father, you automatically realize, I belong to somebody. And everyone wants to belong. It's an innate need. Now, there's a story that I heard years ago, and the story was supposed to have been a true story. This couple had just completed their adoption papers, and they had adopted this little boy out of the orphanage. 
Well, the day finally came when they could take him home. And so on the way home, both the mother and the father started telling him all the things they were going to do for him. They said, we're going to get you a dog. We're going to get you a horse. And they started naming all these things. And all of a sudden, they realized that he was seemingly unimpressed. And so finally, the mother said, what is it that you want? If these are not things that you want, what do you want? And he said, I just want to belong to you. That's all I want. I just want to belong to you. Well, that is exactly what we're all wanting. We all need to belong. And sometimes we think we need to belong to this or to that. But really what we're needing, we need to belong to God. That's that innate need down on the inside of us. So the first thing that this prayer establishes is our belonging to God. He's our Father. It qualifies us as a child of God. It qualifies us as a son. And it qualifies us as an heir to the throne. It also indicates God is our authority figure. We're saying, Lord, you're in authority over my life. Now, whenever I use the word father, it speaks of authority, but it doesn't indicate just any kind of authority. It's not talking about any authority. It's talking about an authority of love. When you think of authority in the world, you think about harshness and you think about people, you know, trying to control. But that's not the kind of authority that the Lord gives us. He gives us an authority of love, just genuine love. We're praying Abba Father, just like Paul talked about in Romans chapter 8, when he said that we come, when we come to the Father, we come because we've been adopted. We've been adopted into his family. And that's why we can cry out Abba Father which means just daddy God is what it means. And it qualifies us as a child. So no longer then do we need to think of ourselves as a stranger to God. We're no longer a slave. And he doesn't have us say my father. Notice he has us say our father. See, we belong not just to God, but we belong to a whole family when we come in into the Lord. We come into the family of God. When we take God, we're taking an entire family in. Okay, in the last part of verse 9, it says, Our Father who art in heaven. Okay, now this is not talking about a location. This is a word describing the Father. He's our heavenly Father. In other words, He's not an earthly Father. So many people that I've talked to, they have a preconceived idea of what God is because they had not a very good Father when they were growing up. And so when they try to come to the Father, it's hard for them to say, Our Father. It's hard for them to do that. And they tell me that they have a fear when they say that. Well, God's wanting us to realize he's not talking about an earthly father here. He's talking about our heavenly father. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, remember that communication is a two-way conversation. So don't just pray, but believe that you're going to hear from God during your prayer time. That needs to be the first thing you do when you get in this prayer time. You need to realize, God, I'm not only going to be talking to you, but I'm going to be hearing from you. I'm going to have my spiritual ears open to hear from you. Now, there's times when you're praying to just all of a sudden just be quiet and start listening. Praise him and thank him and then stop and listen to hear what he has to say to you. Now, I've had a lot of people say, well, what exactly is praise? Well, if I were praising you, I might be telling you how great and how wonderful you are. And that's exactly how we're to treat the Father. We need to start out by just telling Him how great and how precious and how wonderful He is and how we can't do without Him and how much we appreciate the privilege of just being there in His presence. See, our prayer time with God needs to be just a total appreciation. Father, thank You that You even give me the privilege of being able to come into Your presence. Now, spend all the time you need on this first step. 
this praise time. See, so often what we'll do, we'll run into the presence of God. And I've noticed that one of the first things I'll do is I'll start telling him about some problems I have. Or I'll start telling him what all it is that I'm needing. But that's not how we need to do our prayer time. He is inviting us into his presence because he wants us to have a love affair with him. He wants us to come into his presence, first of all, just to tell him how much we love him, how much we appreciate the fact that he loves us. And so that's what we need to start out with. Just begin telling God how much you love him. And you're going to find out this can be so much fun and so fulfilling when all of a sudden you just stop. You're not worried about anything you're needing. You're just in the presence of the God of the universe telling him what he means to you. And also here in verse 9, the second part of the outline, it's hallowed be thy name. In other words, that means, Father, your name is holy. You're worthy to be praised, Lord. Every time you said, hallowed be thy name, you're telling him how worthy he is, how wonderful he is, how holy he is. See, the Lord puts so much emphasis on his name. Now, before we go anyplace else in our praying, God wants us to stop and thank him for his name. We don't think about that. Most of the time, I used to realize I very seldom ever thought to tell God that his name was wonderful. I never stopped to even think about the fact that I needed to bless him for his name. But do you realize that all of his covenant promises are tied up in his names? He's given us his name and that represents a covenant promise. So every day as we come to him in prayer, we need to acknowledge hallowed is thy name and then begin to acknowledge those covenant rights. And they are all tied up in his name. And when you start doing that, you're going to find out you start knowing him better and better and better because every one of those covenant names takes you a little bit deeper into the Lord. See, the Father is not far from us. But because of all these things that are going on in our life, all these things that are going on in our mind, all these distractions, too often we feel like he's so far away. But we need to stop and begin praising him for the fact that his name promises us that he's not far from us. We may feel far from him, but we need to stop and realize he is not far from us. He's right with us. And he wants us to move into the throne room. When you start acknowledging his name, realize you're moving right into the throne room, right into his presence, acknowledging those covenant promises. And that can be so much fun as you go through that. Let me give you this example. When you start out, start saying, Lord, I thank you that you're my Jehovah Jireh. In other words, I thank you, Lord, that you're my provider. And because you love me, you have provided every single need before I ever even ask. Actually, you furnished those needs before I was even born. Lord, you've made provision to redeem me from the curse of failure. And then start thinking about that and telling God how much you appreciate that. Thank him for the fact that you can have faith in the fact that you're not going to fail. You don't have to fail in anything when you're walking with God. And start telling that, Lord, I thank you that I don't have to fail in any of my relationships. Some people are so afraid they're going to lose a friendship or they're going to lose something. But you don't have to fear failure when you realize that one of God's names is the fact that you're not going to lose. You're in fellowship with him and he causes you to be in fellowship with other people. Uh, you don't have to fear fellowships failing. You don't have to worry about failure in your job. You don't have to worry about failure in your health or your finances. And Lord, not only have you redeemed me from the curse of failure, but turn it around and realize that he literally has reversed the curse. And he has given you all the blessings of Abraham. 
and then began to name those blessings. When you're in this prayer time with the Lord, I usually like to tell people that spend about an hour. This is your prayer time each day. Spend at least an hour and tell the Lord how much you appreciate all these blessings that he's lavished on you and name them. Something that's fun to do is go through the alphabet and start naming every blessing you can think of that starts with an A. And then go to the B's. Name all the blessings you can think of that start with a B. And that can be so much fun to go through the alphabet doing that. And God is so pleased when we began to just love on him, when we began to thank him and praise him for these things. Thank him for all the little things that we take for granted every day. We forget to thank him for things like the air that we breathe. And I saw a lady the other day and she was barely able to breathe. They had this apparatus trying to help her breathe. And I thought, I have never even stopped to thank him that I have healthy lungs to breathe the air that he's given to us. We need to thank him for being born into a nation that's Christian. You know, some people are born into the Hindu religion or they're born into a Muslim household. And we're so blessed to have been born into homes in America where we know Jesus, where he's there for us. We didn't even have to search to find him. We have this young man that we met over the Internet and Angela and Stephanie, they've gone several times to meet with him. And he can't thank them enough for the fact that they've introduced him to Jesus. And here we've been born into a home. We know Jesus from the time we were born. So just look around in your house and begin to thank him now for everything that you've just grown accustomed to. All the conveniences in our home that have made life comfortable. This Thanksgiving prayer, this part of your prayer time can be so much fun when you just start thinking of all the different things that you've taken for granted. Then begin to thank him that he's your Jehovah Rapha, that he's your healer. And name these different names one after the other. Thank him that he took your sicknesses and your diseases. Thank you that he literally, the Bible says, has taken the pains of your mind and the pains of your body. Start thinking about that, that he's borne that for you. He's taken all those pains for you. Thank him for the specific healing promises that he's made to you. I like to get, at different times, you can go in a Bible bookstore and you can get these little scripture promise books that just name all the promises of the Bible. And it's so much fun in your prayer time to just go down those promises and just name them out loud and thank God for that promise. Things that most of the time we've forgotten about. We haven't paid any attention. And then name areas in your body that Satan has tried to attack and start thanking God that by the stripes of Jesus, you have a covenant that takes care of anything that the enemy's tried to put on you. Be specific as you praise God for your deliverances. We've had so many deliverances that God has brought to us. For example, maybe you've had a bout with uh, the flu or some other sickness. Begin to praise him that Jesus has come to take that for you so you don't have to bear it. Start thanking him that he has delivered you from maybe anger or maybe rebellion. Start naming the things that God has taken off of you that he's delivered you from. And just begin to praise him for that. And remember what it was like when you were under that oppression and how good it feels to be out from under it. Thank the Lord that you can speak to your body and you can command your body to be normal. You can command your body that it has to line up with the word of God. Begin to thank God for healthy cells and healthy organs. Begin to thank God that he's not only your Jehovah Rapha, but he's also Jehovah Rapha over your family and over your friends. Begin to confess that and thank him for it. Let this praise time just make you just soar into the heavens, thanking him for all these things. 
and as you thank God now for the healings and so forth, then expect to see a manifestation. Expect to see these things start lifting off of you and start lifting off of your friends. Don't just say it, but when you pray it and thank him for it, expect it. Start looking for the fact that you're going to get better in this area, that your friends that you're praying for are going to get better in the areas that you're praying for them. And then begin to praise and thank him that he's your Jehovah Nisi. He's your banner. He's your protection. Now, this has to be one of them that I really appreciate so much now because I used to say, Lord, what on earth does it mean that you're my banner, that you're my flag? What does that mean, Lord, that you're my flag? And the Lord began to show me that if a little ship was sailing in the ocean and suddenly it got surrounded by enemy ships and all of a sudden the enemy ships closed in for the kill, all that little ship has to do is start raising the flag of the United States. And when he raises that flag, as that flag flies over his little ship, all those enemy ships, they begin to back up because they know that to attack that little ship means that they're attacking the whole United States. And because they know we're under that flag, under that banner, that little ship now is sailing under the authority and under the protection of the flag that it represents. And we need to realize when we see Jesus as our Jehovah Nasi, as our flag, he literally is flying his banner of protection over us. Now, these promises are not going to do us any good unless we take them and believe them and start putting them to work. That's why I want us to see your prayer time can be so much fun because all of a sudden it makes you realize this is true. When I start naming his names, it's letting me know what he has made available to me, what he's done for me, and I can have it if I want to reach out and receive it. The fact that it's there is not going to do me any good unless I reach out and receive it. But literally when the enemy comes, he doesn't see us, but he sees that flag flying over us if we're believing it. He sees the Jehovah Nasi flag flying over us if we put it to work. And if we claim that, put it into our being. You know, in Psalm 91, it says that our shield is against the enemy. It shields us against the enemy. He is so faithful to all these promises that he made. And so I like to remind myself and say it over and over, Lord, your shield is a shield that literally shields me from the enemy. And it's your faithfulness to your promise. That's what this shield is. That's your faithfulness around me. But it's not going to do us any good if that's in the Bible and we just read past it and we don't think anything about it. But if we stop and realize he literally means that when he says, when we believe in his faithfulness to put this protection around us, that literally becomes a shield. And it's not just a shield in front of us. It's a surrounding shield. It's the only place in the Bible when it talks about the shield that literally surrounds you. Now, when the enemy comes, we don't have to fear whether or not we're powerful enough to hold off the attack. We simply have to know that we're operating under the protection of our Jehovah Nasi. Just like that little ship, it could not possibly have won a battle against those enemy ships that came. We can't win a battle against the enemy. But when we know that we're under the flag of our Jehovah Nasi, it doesn't matter what comes. There's nothing too big. There's nothing that can keep us from being victorious. It's his protective banner under which we can safely live and move and have our being. And that's exactly what he said, that he wants us to live and move and have our being under his flag of protection.
In Psalm 112, verse 7, it says that we don't have to fear evil tidings because we're steadfast in our trust in Him. If we begin to trust Him, then we don't ever have to fear an evil tiding. If we truly believe that we're under that protective covering and we trust in that, we don't have to worry about evil tidings. I've had so many people tell me, oh golly, when my phone rings at night, my heart just goes up in my throat because I'm so frightened what kind of bad news I'm going to get. That should never go on in the heart of a Christian. That should never go on in their hearts. We need to realize that he's telling us that we do not have to fear evil tidings when our heart is steadfast trusting in him. But I had to ask myself, is my heart steadfast trusting in him? If we're asking ourselves those questions and we're not doing it right, then stop right then and say, Lord, I'm not going to be able to take advantage of all these blessings that you've given to me if I don't stop and take advantage of them. If I don't realize you mean these things literally. You've got to take these things one at a time and put them to work. And that's when you do it in this prayer time is when you start realizing, Lord, these are true. I can stand on these. These will work if I put them to work. And we have to come to a place where we're steadfast once we've realized that these names of God are promises to us and we start realizing that, then don't think about it and rejoice in it for a little while and then put it to the wayside. Stop right then and just say, Lord, I don't ever want to look at your covenant name again without appropriating it and knowing it belongs to me. We've got to get steadfast in our trust that we are under his protection when we're under this banner. So just begin to praise and begin to just thank him for that. And that's why if you'll do this every day in your morning prayer time for a while, it'll take you about an hour to go through this, but it's so worth it because you come out from under that prayer time and not only have you had fun, but all of a sudden you're ready to meet anything that you're facing in the day. Then thank him that he's Jehovah Nasi over your property. We all have some property. Some people have homes. Some people have a car. Some people have appliances. So just choose to believe and expect that protection that he is Jehovah Nasi over everything that belongs to you. Begin to thank him that he's your Jehovah Sid Kenu. He's your, the Lord, your righteousness. See, you couldn't get into heaven without realizing this name, your Jehovah Sid Kenu. That means that he's your righteousness. That's what absolutely makes it perfect for you to get into heaven, makes it possible for you to get into heaven. So get a faith picture now of the blood covering protection as you stand before the Father in his presence. Because when you go into this prayer time, you're standing before the Father, but you've got to realize that all these names are promises that he's made to you, but we have to take them and appropriate them or they won't do any good. When he sees us through the blood of Jesus, he sees us clean. He sees us white as snow. That's why it's so important to say, Lord, I receive your name. Your name's Sid Kenu. Thank him that he's Jehovah Shalom, your peace. Some people I talk to, they'll call me and they're tormented day and night. I have one girl that calls me and she said, I don't even sleep at night. I'm so tormented. We need to thank him for the way that his peace covers every single area of our life. It covers us through the night. It covers us through the day. It covers us as if we're, maybe you're in a bad part of town and there's a lot of mess going on there and all of a sudden your heart gets up in your throat and you go, oh my goodness, I'm in a bad place. Stop right then and realize, Lord, you've given me your Jehovah name and that means I have your protection. And that protection covers your mind. It covers your emotions. It covers your physical body. 
Literally, the Prince of Peace lives on the inside of you, but it won't do you one bit of good unless you really stop and appropriate it. It's no good to just, oh yeah, he's my Prince of Peace, he's my Jehovah Shalom. But if those are just words and you haven't stopped to realize, he is the God of peace. It doesn't matter if I'm in a dangerous place or if I'm in a very safe place. He is my Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. Take it and appropriate it. Spend time thanking him for that. Thank the Lord that your mind is at rest from fear. So many people just live in fear. If you have areas where you're in fear, then stop and start appropriating this and start realizing when he says he's your Jehovah Shalom, take that promise and begin to appropriate it and do it until you become completely at peace, that he is your, your peace and he's not going to leave you. Now you may walk away from that promise and then you can be upset and uptight, but as long as you stay and know that that promise is yours, know that it's yours, then you can walk in total peace no matter where you are, no matter what's going on around you. Thank him that, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not hyper. I have a calmness in my spirit. Some people live all the time with just an unrest. There's just an unrest down on the inside of them. And the reason they have that is because they've never appropriated the fact that God says, I'm your Jehovah Shalom. I'm your peace. We've never stopped and appropriated that. But once we do, you can walk in a calmness in your soulish realm, in your mind, in your will, your emotions. And then praise him that he's your Jehovah Ra'ah, he's your shepherd. He doesn't want these just to be meaningless phrases that we say, oh Lord, I thank you, you're my Jehovah Ra'ah. No, he doesn't want that. He's giving you that promise for you to take it and appropriate it so that you can live victoriously every single day of your life. He didn't just give you one promise here. He didn't just give a name that meant one thing. He gave you a name, all these different names that mean all these different things that you need every day of your life. Start quoting Psalm 23. Lord, I thank you that you're my shepherd. I shall not want. We can quote that and go right on with whatever we're doing, or we can stop and realize, Lord, you have promised me you are my Ra'ah, R-A-A-H. That means you're my shepherd. I shall not want for any good thing. But that has to become a reality on the inside of us or it won't do us one bit of good. We can quote it all day long and it's not going to do us any good until we take it and realize he really means that. He really is my Ra'ah. He's my shepherd. And thank him that he's your Jehovah Shamish, the God who is ever present. Think about, Lord, your peace, your shepherd, your God ever present. He's all these things, but he didn't just say that to entertain us. He gave those to us to let us know these are promises that work if we put them to work. Began to quote Psalm 139 and thank him. Lord, I can never be removed from your spirit. Lord, I thank you. I can go to the highest heaven and you're right there with me. Or Lord, I can go to the depths of the sea and you're right there with me. If, even if I make my bed in hell, it says there in Psalm 139, your word says that you're still right there with me. If we took these scriptures and truly believed them and truly put them to work, we have nothing to fear. A Christian should never fear anything. A Christian should never have a need that's not supplied because he's given us all these promises and they're there and they're ours if we take them and if we put them to work and appropriate them. Began to thank him that Hebrews 13 verse 5 in the Amplified says that 
Lord, you will never leave me and you will never fail me. How many times have we quoted that, but it's just gone in one ear and out the other because we're not believing it. These scripture promises are for us to stop and say, Lord, when you tell me that you'll never leave me, you'll never fail me. We need to stop right then and realize he wouldn't give us that promise if it weren't true. And we need to stop and say, Lord, you will never leave me. You will never fail me. And say it until it comes alive on the inside of me. And then keep on with that Psalm 113 verse 5. It goes on to say, Lord, you will never give me up. You will never leave me without support. Think what that's saying to you. Lord, you said, and three times he said in the Amplified, I will not, I will not, I will not. Three times. So he's wanting us to hear it. I will not, he said, in any degree leave you helpless. You don't ever have to feel helpless. I will never forsake you. You don't ever have to feel forsaken. Maybe people around you in the world may forsake you, but you have the God of the universe who has said, I will never forsake you. I will never let you down. And he says, I will never even relax my hold on you. Think about that. God of the universe has said, if we'll believe it, I won't even relax my hold on you. So begin to thank him that he is your Jehovah Shamish. He's the God who is ever present. He's the one holding you so tightly that you couldn't fall if you wanted to, if you're believing this. Now, it doesn't do us a bit of good if we don't believe it. But if we'll take it and appropriate it and put it to work, that's a promise that God himself will back up. Continue blessing his name until you just find yourself telling him, Oh, God, I love you so much. When you start confessing these promises and when all of a sudden they click on the inside of you and you start believing them, oh, all of a sudden you just, your heart just almost bursts with love for him and continue here until you get the fullness of joy. The more you start telling him how much you love him, pretty soon you're going to feel joy begin to bubble up. And finally, it'll just absolutely, you'll be so filled with joy, it'll just come bursting out. Now, this is the most important part of your entire prayer time, getting into his presence and praising and thanking him until you get that joy released, because it promises us in his presence is the fullness of joy. And when you start taking his Jehovah names and you start really realizing every one of those names are promises to you, you're going to find out pretty soon that joy comes bubbling up and you can't hold it down. When I was young, I don't know whether y'all knew this song or not, but we had a song, it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. I'm singing and laughing because Jesus made me hold. And we would sing that all the time. And I didn't understand it when I was singing it back then. But now after I'm realizing how much God has made promises to us in his covenant names, now I'm realizing it is bubbling. It is bubbling. It's bubbling in my soul. It's just bubbling out that joy over these promises that he's made to us. They're ours. We can have them. The only one that keeps us from having them is when we don't believe it, when we don't appropriate it. We have to put these promises to work. Now, just the very fact that we go into the presence of God and talk to him and are able to talk to him, boy, that's reason enough to praise. Think about how awesome it is that God has given us the privilege of going into his presence and taking on his love and giving your love back to him. I could start trying today to get a call through to the president of the United States. And I could try for months and I still might never be able to reach him. And yet I can reach the God of the entire universe just the moment that I start talking to him in faith. 
He's right there. I don't have to wait a second. He's our Jehovah Shamish. He is ever present. And we need to praise him for that. We need to meditate on that and say, God, you are ever present. There's no one else in the world, even your closest friend. No one is ever present right there for you at any moment of the day or night. What if every time we prayed, we had an angel appear and say, oh golly, the Lord is so busy with all the affairs of the universe. I, I really don't know when he's going to be able to get back to you. It may be a few months before he can get to you, maybe a year at least. But I promise you, we're going to put your name on a list. And I promise that the first opportunity, the Lord's going to get back with you. What if that's what we had? We never even think about it. We never think about the fact that the God of the universe is at our becking call day or night. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when. And we take that so for granted that he's our Jehovah Shamish, that he is ever present. He's not, that name doesn't say that he's present every once in a while. He's ever present. And he wants us to come through our gates into his presence with thanksgiving. He wants us to begin praising him for that. Praise Him that He's your El Shaddai. He's the God who is more than enough. That means it doesn't matter what your need is. It really doesn't matter. He is more than enough for anything that you need, anything you'll ever need. It's really easy to love and praise somebody when you realize that He loves us that exceedingly. Okay, the second step of, of your prayer time, the second step is what's going to keep you filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is go through these names when you get into your prayer time. Go through some of these names and really realize they're yours. And then all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about getting filled up with the Spirit. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will just come up and out. And you'll find yourself praising without even trying to make yourself do it. Now, this is your preparation time for walking out the rest of the day. That's why this hour or however long you spend with the Lord... And go through these things and make it become a reality on the inside of you. Okay, this is what prepares you for whatever you're going to be facing during the day. And that's why I believe that an early morning prayer time is good. It's before you started your day. But whenever you do it, spend the time and do this. And after you finish that step now, there's so much more. I mean, he never stops. Now, I know you're going to be praying throughout the day. This doesn't mean this is the only time you're going to pray. But this is the time when you stop and you give your entire full attention to the Lord. The other times during the day, you'll just be talking to him like he's your best friend. But this is your time. Now, this time where you just get into his presence and you come out with the fullness of joy. And after you finish this step in your praying, then move on to the third step of your prayer outline. And the third step in Matthew 6.10 says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, we're talking about a kingdom now. We're not talking about a democracy. There is a king in this kingdom who has a will, and no one else's will is going to work in this kingdom. My will's not going to work. My best friend's will's not going to work. The only will that's going to work in this kingdom is the king's will. And the kingdom of God will come in our life, it'll come in my life and in your life, when we allow Jesus Christ now to be the king. And that's why Jesus put this third category in his model prayer. So that we can pray and ask him, be king of my life, Lord. This day I want you to be king in my life. Have your will, have your way in my life. Lord, I choose to acknowledge your lordship over every different area of my life. And when you say that, mean it. I mean, let that be something that you're like you're making a promise to God. 
Now, in those areas of our life where we know we're still on the throne, and I know areas in my life where I'm still putting myself on the throne. I may be trying during the day to take myself off the throne, but you know those areas. I know those areas. We need to get a faith picture of seeing ourselves submit over to the Lord, over to his authority. And where you know that you're in control of your life at this particular point, then start just saying, God, I'm hanging on, but Lord, I want to turn loose. Help me to turn loose and make you the Lord over every area. Now, for the young adults, then get a faith picture of seeing the Lord right there with you when you're on a date. Get a picture of seeing the Lord right there with you when you're with your group of friends. A lot of people get in trouble when they're on a date by themselves. A lot of people get in trouble when they get with a group of friends. They do things that they shouldn't do. Do you realize that if you stopped and you acknowledged the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was right there with you, which he is, that he's right there with you on every date, He's right there with you every time you're out with your group of friends. He's right there with you when you're alone and maybe tempted to do something wrong. When you realize he's right there with you, I can promise you'll quit doing those things you shouldn't be doing. You can't do it when you know that the Lord is right there with you. It'll stop so much. I guarantee you, we wouldn't have near as many things to repent for if we realized he's with us every moment. Now, this kingdom of God is different because an earthly king now would force his will on you. When you have an earthly king, he forces his will. Even in the United States, we have a lot of things forced on us. But this king in the spiritual kingdom, he's not going to force his will. It's something we have to choose to submit to. He'll never force it on you. And I felt like the Lord told me that we needed to start praying Galatians 2.20 until it literally becomes a reality where we say, Lord, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God because he's right there with you. And we need to say that until it becomes a reality. These three words, his will, his kingdom, and his word, those are all three the same thing. His will and his kingdom and his word are the same. So if you want to know his will or if you want to know what his kingdom is like, then all you have to do is look in the word of God because it gives you right there what his will and his kingdom is. What goes on in heaven is his will, period. If it's going on in heaven, that's his will. Therefore, he wants us to pray for his will that's being done in heaven to be done right here on earth in our life and, and in the lives of those around us. And then we just need to acknowledge some of the things that are going on in heaven. When you acknowledge what's going on in heaven, you know exactly what he wants to have going on in your life right now. And then start exercising faith to bring it into reality. Call it into existence. We have that authority. We have been given the authority to call into existence anything we want to. Too many times we're calling into existence the things that our soulish realm wants rather than calling into existence what God has for us. Romans 4.17 shows us to call into being things that do not yet exist. Call them into being. So when you see things in your life and you think, okay, that's not what God would have. That's not what the word says. Start calling it into being. Start saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, I call into my life and quote the promise. And keep calling it into being until it becomes a reality. He wants us to look into the eternal, into the heavens, and see what's going on there. And then call it into the physical realm right where you live. And thank him and say, Lord, I thank you that there is no sickness in heaven. Therefore, 
I call that into being in my life. I call no sickness into being in the life of my family and those that I love that are around me. See, this is a good place now to get a list of all the things you know, all the ones you know who are fighting some kind of sickness, people you know and love, and start calling that health into being into their lives. As a church body, we did that several years ago. We had a lady in our church, Linda Wilson, and they found out that she had bone cancer. Well, they weren't even sure they were going to be able to save her life. They knew they couldn't save her leg. They knew they'd have to take her leg. Our church got together, and I mean, we started praying and standing and acknowledging the promises, and we prayed as a church body. She went into surgery, came out. They got every bit of the cancer. They did not have to take her leg, and here it is years and years later, and she's still perfectly healed. I talk to her every so often. They live up in the Dallas area, and we're not putting these promises into practice. That's why we're not having these victories. They're here, they're ours, but they won't do us one bit of good until we put them into practice. We have to put it into practice. And God is giving it and he's begging us to do it. And it works if we do it. There's no sorrow, there's no poverty, there's no sin in heaven, no rebellion in heaven. There's total unity, perfect communication. Therefore, we can call those things into being right now in the different areas of our life. Confess 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, because this talks about perfect love. And Jesus is perfect love. God is perfect love. And if we want that perfect love inside of us, we need to start confessing these things. And began to confess 1 Corinthians 13. Lord, if I spoke with the tongues of my prayer language, if I spoke all day long in that prayer language, and I don't really have any love, then it's just a lot of noise. It's just noise that I'm speaking. It's not doing a bit of good. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have the faith to even remove mountains, it says, but if I don't have love, the Bible says, it's nothing. Doesn't mean a thing. If I gave all my possessions to feed the poor and surrendered my body to be burned and I don't have love, it's not going to profit me anything. I can do all that and it won't get me any rewards in heaven. And then it goes on to say love is patient. So we need to start confessing, Lord, I thank you. I choose to be patient. It says love is kind. We need to start confessing, Lord, I want to be kind. I want people to think of me as a very kind person. Love is not jealous. Love doesn't brag. Love is not arrogant. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. Love doesn't seek its own way. Love doesn't take into account when it's been done wrongly. When I started reading that, I thought, oh God, I'm not even close. And the Lord says, keep confessing it. Keep confessing it and keep choosing to get there. And the more we do that, he'll help us. He'll get us there. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes God's word. Love never loses hope. Doesn't matter how bad the situation looks, love never loses hope. It never fails. If the love of God dwells in us, then we are all of those things. Okay, we need to ask for God's love to indwell us. And then go back through that 13th chapter and just start realizing these can all be ours if we'll believe it and start putting it to work. You never have to be afraid to pray for God's will to be done in your life. That should never be anything that you fear because he loves you perfectly. And he's already told us that every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father 
So there's no higher way, there's nothing better than we can receive than his love and all that he has for us. I mean, you can't ask for anything that could surpass the things he's already just made available and said, believe this, I've given it to you, it's yours. But you have to take it, you have to receive it, you have to walk in it. After you get married, you need to pray for your mate every day. That needs to be a prayer that you never forget to do. And as you start having children, you need to pray individually for each one of those children every day. Because every child is going to be different, and every child's going to be facing different needs. So you need to be very specific. If one of your children happens to be battling with rejection, or with fear, or with rebellion, that doesn't go on in heaven. So use your authority and forbid it. And it's nice if you can pray it over your child where they can hear you. But if your child is older and you, you don't have that privilege, then keep doing it. Just forbid it in their life and confess they're going to operate in the life of you, Father, in what you've made available to them. Forbid those things to operate in your own life. Forbid them from operating in your children's lives. Go as far as you like with this category. I mean, there's really no end to what you can start believing for and confessing into being. Now, here's the rule. Don't accept anything in anyone's life that you're praying for that's not going on in heaven. When you think about it, that can be so much fun when you realize if I see something operating in my friend's life or my sister or brother's life, uh, if it's anything that's not going on in heaven, then we need to stop and say, no, I don't have to receive that. I don't have to receive that. Lord, I thank you for thus and so to go on in their life. I'm believing you're going to bring it to pass. I'm believing for that in my life. And if you don't think it works, just start trying it. You'll all of a sudden see some things working and you'll think, this really does work. And boy, that'll give you the courage then to just want to put it to work more and more and more. Now, this category also covers spiritual warfare. You need to look up Luke 10, 19. It says that we have been given authority over all the demon powers. So we need to start taking authority over the harassment of the devil. I've had people so many times tell me, oh, the devil is just on me today. Listen, we just stop and say, I have authority. I've been given authority over all the demonic powers. And don't give the enemy any permission. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy. You have the power of the God of the universe in you. So do spiritual warfare against demonic forces that are coming against your family. If you see it coming against your church or your community or your school, even against your nation, start standing against those things. And then ask the Holy Spirit to begin ministering truth to those areas where the enemy has reigned. Forbid the work of the enemy. You can, in the name of Jesus, forbid it. But you can't just say it. You've got to say it and mean it. It's what you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's what brings the result. Doesn't bring the result just believing it in your heart. Doesn't bring the results just saying it with your mouth. You've got to believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. And then ask the Holy Spirit to begin ministering truth and expect God then to dispatch angels. We don't go out and dispatch the angels, but we can ask God to do that. Forbid the evil and permit good. You carry that kind of authority. But most of us think, I do. I've never done that. Well, then we need to start doing it. Spiritual warfare is not just rebuking the devil. It's not just saying, oh, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. When you declare into the heavenlies what the word of God says in whatever area you're praying about, and you start saying, 
No, devil, <laughs> you're not winning. You've been trying to steal, but I forbid you stealing. And you say it till you mean it. That's spiritual warfare. That's when you win. Okay. And do it out loud. Don't just think it. Now, this is the portion of your prayer time outline where confessions, uh, where you start confessing particular scriptures. Or maybe it's a covenant that you've written with the Lord, and you start saying that covenant out, out loud. This is where you use your covenant. You use your scriptures. Now, it's not necessary necessarily to, to read every covenant every day. But the Holy Spirit now will direct you to the ones that need to be read that particular day. Now, I do try to pray Psalm 91 every day. Some people will just take portions out of Psalm 91 and confess it. That's fine. Whatever God leads you to do. But you can literally call things of God that are not in existence right now. You can call them into existence by using the Word of God. That scripture tells you to do it. Call it into existence. And you do that by the power that you have with the confessions of your mouth. When you say it with your mouth and believe it with your heart. Okay, the fourth part of your prayer outline that Jesus gave is give us this day our daily bread. It's in verse 11. You know, it's okay to pray for your daily needs. That's not a selfish prayer because the Lord tells us to do that. He says, ask. Now, some people say, well, I've been praying for my needs and absolutely nothing has happened. Okay, if that's the case, then check your attitude in these different areas. Because sometimes there's a hindrance that's stopping the flow of God's blessings. So check your attitude toward God. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness. And then these things will be added. So check yourself because are you seeking the kingdom first? If you are, then the blessings will come they says the blessings come from behind and overtake you. It's like a wave of the sea. You're standing there and that wave just <coughs> overflows you. See if you have a proper attitude toward church. Are you willing to serve the body? See if there's <coughs> criticism, fault finding going in, on inside of you. Some people, they go to church and they get home and they're not saying one thing about what they learned. They're just saying, oh, I didn't like what this. Or they're, they're critical. Don't do that. See if you have a proper attitude about tithing and giving. Because the Bible tells us God loves a cheerful giver. Check and see if you're sowing sparingly. The Bible says if you're sowing sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. See if you have a proper attitude about God's will to prosper you financially. Some people are praying for their needs to be met, but they're not expecting it. They're just praying words. You've got to mean it when you pray it. And uh, begin to quote 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. Because it says, thank you, Lord, that your grace causes there to be a sufficiency in all things at all times and even an abundance left over for every good need. Okay, do we believe that? That there's a sufficiency for all things at all times? Okay, quote that until you believe it. Pray very specifically for personal things in your life. Give us this day our daily bread. Revelation knowledge is also daily bread. So be praying for that revelation knowledge. Now this entire section of your prayer time is not to try to talk God into doing something for you. This is really a time of just verbally acknowledging that those needs have already been met through Christ. And then put yourself in a position just to receive the manifestation of it. Okay, the next category, the number five category is verse 12. Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive others. Now, this must be important for it to be a category all of its own. And it's the only part of the outline that after Jesus got through giving the Lord's Prayer, then 
He had finished the Lord's Prayer, and then in verse 14, he decides to re-emphasize this particular one. He had just finished giving the model prayer, and then in verse 14, he says, but if, uh, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. He said that's the only way it's going to work. If you're not willing to forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. It was like the Lord thought, okay, this has got to be said again. Now, the reason this one is so very important is because if there's unforgiveness now in a person's heart, it's going to block every blessing. Unforgiveness will block everything. If you need to repent, the prayer of David in Psalm 51 is a good example. Repent, ask God, God's forgiveness, and then receive his forgiveness. And a lot of people pray and ask for forgiveness, but they never receive it. They never really believe they're forgiven. Not only do you ask for that forgiveness, you've got to accept it. You've got to receive it. God's not holding anything back from you. He's just letting us know that there's a spiritual law in effect and there's no other way to receive forgiveness if we're not willing to forgive. There's no way. John 20, 23 says the sins you forgive will be forgiven. The sins you retain will be retained. Do you realize we have the authority in the name of Jesus to forgive somebody of their sins? That's amazing to me. We have the power in Jesus' name to forgive sins. And we can set people free from their bondage. And that can be so much fun to see somebody literally set free. But you've got to not only do it, but believe it. Doesn't work if you're not believing it, if you're not putting it to work. And then take Hebrews 9.22 in the Amplified and Colossians 2.13 and 14. Hebrews 9.22, Colossians 2.13 and 14. And I'm not going to read them, but meditate on the fact that God's true forgiveness removes not only the sin, but it removes the guilt and the consequences. It removes it from you if you're praying for yourself. You can get it removed off of other people if you pray it for them. And he wants us to receive that kind of forgiveness and give it to other people. And then the number six category in our prayer outline is in verse 13, lead us not into temptation. Now, God's not the tempter, but he knows that Satan is constantly laying traps trying to entice us. So he wants us to pray specifically, not only for ourselves, but for others to be picked up out of the pathway now of trial and temptation and place us in another whole pathway. In Matthew 26, 41, he says, keep praying and watching so that you won't be tempted. God knew that temptation is going to be big in this world because of the enemy. And he's given us so many scriptures to get ourselves out of temptation. Jude 24, ask this for yourself and your family. It says that he will give you ways to keep you from stumbling. In other words, that means to keep you from getting into temptation. Now, Romans 14, 4, thank God for his keeping power. He has the power, when you start confessing these things and walking in them, he has the power to keep you steady in them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he gives us a means of escape from temptation. And sometimes that means of escape is just simply believing him that if you're headed in the wrong direction, that he will pick you up and put you in another pathway. You need to pray that over your friends, over your family. Now, there are two sources of evil from which we need to be delivered. There's an evil on the inside of us in our soulish realm, and then there's an evil on the outside in the world. And we need to believe him for both sides. In Joel 2.32, it tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. And so maybe you have an area of selfishness. Maybe you have an area of rebellion or fear or whatever, whatever it might be. Submit that to God and begin to cry out to him for deliverance. 
asking him to deliver you from things that are on the inside that are not right. And then ask specifically for deliverance from the evil that's in the world. We're living in an evil world, but we can be totally protected. When Jesus prayed the priestly prayer in John 17, 15, he prayed, Father, don't take them out of this world, but protect them in it. Because he knew there's a lot of stuff in this world that could ruin us. He said, deliver them from the evil that's in the world. We have a blood covering if we'll use it. But it doesn't do us any good if we don't put it to work. Thank God daily for the blood covenant protection for you and all those that belong to you. Begin to pray and say, Lord, I thank you for the blood that protects. And where the blood is, if I believe it, Lord, then the destroyer can't come in. Now, you can quote that all day long. And if you don't believe it, it won't do you any good. But if you believe it, it works. In Mark 16, 18, uh, it's so important because all of the poisons that are in our air, in our water, in our food, all kinds of additives and, and chemicals are being put into our food. Begin to thank God for the sanctification of the food. Thank Him that even if you're taking deadly poison in, it's not going to hurt you. Because God knew ahead of time that we were going to have this need. And that's why he provided that protection. That's why he gave us that promise. You know, I've told you this before, but when Jack was working at 3M, they were using a solution called MEK. They kept their hands in it clear up to their armpit every day, washing down the machinery. And they started finding out that had many, many bad side effects. And a lot of young men out there died because of that. Well, they quit using it. They're not using that now. But fear tried to engulf me because I knew that Jack had his arm clear up to the armpits in it practically every day. And the Lord began to tell me when that fear came, he said, can you trust me? And then the Lord began to tell me, I've made provision for his protection. I've given you these scripture promises against poisons, against all those things. But he said, you've got to accept that provision and you've got to believe my word. Okay, he made the provision, but the shed blood never saved anyone. You've got to realize, the shed blood of Jesus won't do you one bit of good. Won't do anyone one bit of good. It's only the applied blood. We have to take the blood and apply it to our situation before it works. We have to apply what he's provided by believing and thanking him for it. And when doubts start coming, start quoting that word again and get yourself built up again because we have to believe the word more than we believe what we're seeing in the world. There's not an evil known to man that God has not made provision for our protection from it. Psalm 91 names every category of evil and he tells us not to be afraid because if we dwell in him and we appropriate these promises in Psalm 91, he said it will not come near us. Those evils will not come near us or near our family. It's so much fun to get hold of these promises and start praying them over ourselves and over our friends. And it's so much fun. And then the number seven category, the last one in verse 13, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. He wants to, to begin and end with praise. If you'll notice, you start your prayer with praise and you end it with praise. Now, this ending praise is a final declaration of who God is. It's a final declaration of to whom the kingdom belongs. He wants us to acknowledge our praise to him. He wants us every day to start saying, Lord, you're Lord of Lord. You're my King of Kings. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the Rose of Sharon. You're my El Shaddai. You're our Prince of Peace. You're the Mighty God. You're the Everlasting Father. 
Lord, you're my holy comforter. You're everything, Lord. I can't, I don't even have enough time in a day to name all the wonderful things that he is. And then say, Lord, I just love you for it. I love you for it. Thine is the kingdom. Everything belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to him, doesn't belong to us. So we don't have to get in control. It doesn't belong to the enemy. So we don't have to get into fear. And it doesn't belong to the world. So we don't have to conform to the world. The kingdom belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has gladly chosen to give the kingdom up to us. And then he said, pray, thine is the power. And we need to realize that all power belongs to him. The power doesn't belong to the enemy. We don't have to fear the enemy. It belongs to him. And he gladly now will bestow his authority to us to use that power. And the same power that Christ raised Christ from the dead now dwells on the inside of us. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Thine is the glory. All glory belongs to you, Lord. And you've chosen to glorify us that we might glorify you. So I declare to you now that thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory forever and ever. And this prayer outline now, it's not to be prayed as a ritual, but it can be a very effective tool to help us to pray more earnestly and more easily every single day. And it helps us to learn how to make our prayer time fun. You know, we can't improve on it because Christ is the one that gave it to us. And just as he is our great high priest interceding for us day and night, he has called us to be priests and kings unto our God. And praying should never be boring. And it won't be when we realize that we can change things every single time we pray if we'll pray it and mean it and believe it. You're never going to be bored when you pray if you realize you can change things every day with your prayers. He didn't give us prayers so that we could then just, okay, I've prayed my prayer and I can go on with my day. He gave us prayers to change the bad and bring in the good. There's no way to even begin to describe how good God is for all the wonderful things he's done for us. But we've got to realize that. We've got to accept it. We've got to walk in it. And when we do, ah, there's no end to the blessings that come piling in on top of us. Father, we thank you for the Lord's Prayer. There's so much there. There is so much there, Father. And Father, unfortunately, we've overlooked most of it all of our lives. But Father, I pray that it'll start coming alive, that we'll realize this is the perfect outline to show us how to pray. And Father, the best part about it is that when we believe it, it works. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.